0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with one of his favorite teammates, three-time Gold Glove winner, Mike Cameron. They'll talk about his career and a very special day he shared with Brett when the ball was flying out of the ballpark. (laughs) Here's your host, Brett Boone.
1: We got Mike Cameron today, one of my all-time favorite teammates. Uh, we only got to play together briefly, but uh, it was a lot of fun. He's got the biggest smile in the world, lights up a room everywhere he goes, always in a good mood, even if he isn't in a good mood. <laughs> and, man, he was my part. You were my partner, man. Cammy. thanks for coming on. It's it's definitely Boney, it's great anytime, to talk, to you,
2: anytime, anytime.
1: Let's let's right off the bat. You know, people ask me all the time about about uh, clubhouse and leading a clubhouse and how does it go? And I and I always talk. I said Cammy was my cr- partner in crime in Seattle. You know, when the days I didn't have it, I could always count on on Cammy walking through that door. And I remember we had so many talks about. You know, when we were struggling and man, what am I doing wrong? And Cammy and can come through that door one for his last 20. We just got our butt kicked three days in a row and he'll come whistling in with a big smile and say, I've been terrible lately, but today's a new day. <laughs> and, and it, it, you know, I joke about it all the time, but it really is an uplifting thing. You know, when things are going so bad, but I knew I could always look in Cammie's direction. He's going to be smiling no matter what, good, bad or indifferent. And, and it really is a, an unbelievable quality, uh, professional quality. Tell me tell me how that persona came about. Was that just natural or is that something you learned? But you always we talk about professionals being too high, too low. You are always the same.
2: Yeah, at Mooney, I just really think that it was a gift given to me because of the love of the game, the challenge of the game, um, understanding how I was able to improve year to year from the Mono Leagues. I was an 18th rounder. I wasn't even supposed to be playing in the big leagues. But the year to year improvement and understanding each day as a baseball player at the highest level, I got a chance as long as I'm at the ballpark, and I just figure that every day is a new day and With that being said, I'm pretty sure we're probably going to talk about it later in this segment. If you recall, remember i was we were struggling at the end of the month of April of two thousand and
1: two, and I remember that
2: turned over as soon as the new month turned over. <laughs> I hit four homers in the game, man. So I don't, you know, like it just it, there's just so much that can happen in the game of baseball uh, on a day to day basis. Where I always felt like um, my mental state and my mental capacity was, if it was a new day, then baseball has not dictated where I, where I was going to have a bad day or not yet, and I was going to be I was joyful because I really uh, cherished. I really um, appreciated seeing my name on the back of a big league jersey, man. Every day I was appreciative of the opportunity that I got a chance to do it.
1: Well, you mentioned the 18th round pick, and uh, I'm going to talk about your career a little bit. So you're an 18th, 18th round pick with the White Sox. Yeah, yes. When did... You know, in an 18th round pick, you're kind of in the middle, you know? Nobody really yeah. knows. Nobody's too high on you, but they're not real low on you. It's not like you were a 60th yeah. round pick. So when yeah. did when yeah. did people start paying attention to Mike Cameron? And, and and when did you start to realize, hey, I got a chance to be a big leaguer?
2: Well, you know, like, for one, I was a great athlete in high school. Um, I didn't play my junior year because of uh, the grades I had. And my grandmother wouldn't let me play. So my senior year, I was always good, though. I, I was good. I was been good ever since I was able to pick up a bat. I didn't realize how good I was. I just knew I was good. And it wasn't until my senior year, you know, like I was kind of a, a pioneer in my state, uh, of my little city of LaGrange, Georgia, and being I wasn't the first one to get drafted. I was the second. There was another guy by the name of Jimmy Haynes that also got drafted in the same year, but I think he was drafted by the uh, Orioles. Um, was it the Orioles? Yes. Yes, the Baltimore Orioles um, in, like, the fourth or fifth round or whatever. So, here it is, two guys from the, the two rival uh, rival high schools or two, two high schools get a chance to get drafted. And basically i could play i knew i could play i didn't know i didn't i did, i, I know i wanted to play pro baseball you know i was going to go to school but i wanted to try to play pro baseball because i knew i could play baseball like i've been doing this my whole life and if i worked at it the same way i worked at when i was playing football same way i worked when i was playing basketball that hey if all else fails at least i gave myself an opportunity so I get into pro ball and the first year I probably got the bat knocked out of my hand because I was six foot, six foot one, a hundred and probably 65 pounds or whatever, but I could run, I could throw, I could hit a little bit, didn't have a lick of professional baseball power with a wood bat. Um, but each year I had a good, I came into a good system that was ran by Buddy Bell, uh um, Uh, And uh, Terry Francona was my hitting coach my first year. But Buddy Bell was our farm director. And Buddy Bell saw something in me before I probably even saw it in myself because of the the, the ups and downs and the struggles that I uh, accumulated as a, you know, as a minor league player. And I think it wasn't until I showed signs that I could do it at the lower level, minor league levels. And I think once I got the A-ball is when I truly became a prospect. Um I had like I had seventeen triples in high A ball because I couldn't hit the ball over the fence, but I could run. But at that particular point I found out that I had a skill set that could possibly carry over if I continue to develop my skill set uh like no other. And um uh, man I got the double A. I got look, I got the double A at twenty one year twenty two years old. Um after going through the whole four system, four years of the system, going to every instructional league, every every level, I went to every level and I got the double A, man. And I hit, I hit 12 homers in Birmingham. And that was the time, it was right after the strike in 1995. Um, and uh, I hit 12 homers in double A and I got called to the big leagues. I didn't know, I was so excited and happy that I got an opportunity. But I didn't know I was ready for the big or not. but I was happy as hell to be. And into the major leagues and saw how the work was going on and the performance was going on. Um, uh, and, you know, my little cup of tea, I shrugged my butt off. Um, I hit my first homer and I got all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you know what? I maybe can play here. There's an opportunity that that I can play here, this level right here. And, man, you know, I just took it and ran with it from that particular point on, man. And and, um, I cherished every moment, every day, every opportunity that I had to get a chance to play uh, in the big leagues from that point on, bro. Like, I I made myself into a major league player from just a player, uh, a, a regular player in itself.
1: You know, it's uh, it's interesting. You, you were traded for two pretty big-name guys. Ended up, you know, Paul Canerco was, you know, borderline Hall of Fame numbers. And, and you got traded for one of the greatest players to ever play. Greatest player yeah. I ever played with. You got you got traded for Junior Griffey. Yes. And you got yes. traded for Paul Canerco. What, what is it like yes. being the other guy on the other side of that?
2: Well, you know, like, I guess the one, first of all, you know, with the Canerco trade, you know, I finished fifth in the rookie of the year. Um, fifth in the rookie of the year from AP, and I think Nomar was a, uh, the uh, obvious choice of rookie of the year. And I finished third amongst the players, the players' vote um, um, or whatever. And um, in 97, when I did that, I came back. There was so much pressure put on me. I got a new manager in Jerry Manuel. um and then I came back, and I was marked by the media saying that I was the next 30-30 guy. You know, I had 15 homers and 20 some bags in like five or six months playing the big leagues, or whatever, four or five months playing the big leagues. And that second year, man, I put, I took th- those external pressures and put it on myself. And with the pressures along with the new manager and Jerry Manuel, we trying to impress them. I struggled my sophomore year, all the way up until probably the last month and a half of the season. I was very fortunate to be, um, I was very fortunate to be in a position to stay in the big leagues all year long because I had, there was nothing else for me to do in the minors other than maybe go down and tweak my swing or get my thoughts together. So to speak, I mean, I was almost—I was a thirty thirty guy in Double A in in ninety six, and and uh, and it it was there. So I guess that's why these external um, uh, expectations were put on me, and I, I had this skill set that I could really really play the game. And so that sophomore year, I struggled, and I remember having to go back to winter ball, and uh, I found out. I got traded by looking at the ticker that comes on CNN while I'm in winter Ball. had no idea. If I didn't know it, I wouldn't have never known. I was in Dominican Republic. And I remember getting traded for Paul Conurco, and then I realized that, hey, you know, Cincinnati's got a young team. Uh, the manager is Jack McKinnon. I know Jack McKinnon loves young players. He's going to let you play. He may trade you, but he's going to let you play. I got a great opportunity with a general manager, Jim Bowen, said, hey, I recognize your talent. I've had a guy like you. Uh, I had a guy like you in Deion Sanders and and, um, more so of uh, Reggie Sanders. And I see that in you. We're going to give you an opportunity to play. My favorite player all time was Eric Davis anyway. So I relished the opportunity to go over there to really prove that, hey, I can do this. End up running, into, end up going into a great situation. I knew it was a great situation for Canerco because they just got Sean Casey. Uh, he couldn't play outfield. He couldn't run. He had a, a, a degenerative hip uh, complication. And for me, it was just a matter of me rebounding, refocusing, uh, redirecting my mindset as to what type of player I could become or what type of player that I needed to be. Um, and I just was able to get over there. I got with a person and by the name of Greg Vaughn, I'm so thankful to him. He taught me what it was like to be and work like a big leader on a day-to-day basis and how to manage, you know, the mental aspects of what was going on in the game every day. And he took me through this program that he did. I stayed with him. I... Was up at five every morning. We would get oatmeal. We would go do our work. I would work out. I would go hit. And I guess they got this routine from Tony Gwynn. I don't know about the, you know, whatever type of breakfast they were going had going on. I don't Gwynn. know about,
1: about the oatmeal, Cami. Come on, let's cut it short. <laughs> <laughs> I played with Tony.
2: <laughs> there wasn't a lot of oatmeal going on. Yeah, that's why I said, you know, I don't know about his breakfast situation, but the guy was awesome as far as um um working like a professional. Basically Greg Vaughn. I played with some great players in Chicago. Uh, and what I view from my my eyesight didn't work for me. Greg Vaughn actually put me in the situation to do this. And I just took off from that, man. I ended up going twenty twenty there. Had a great year. They let me hit leadoff. I'd play every day. I, I tell you what, I played so much, I was tired, but I was enjoying the heck out of it. And Jack McKeon made me play. He said, "You know what? We're gonna find out if you can play or not." He put me the from the first after the third game of spring training. I was playing nine innings the next week. I was playing a whole game, and coming back and play the next day, the whole game. And hey, I didn't know no better. I just know I had to go out and play. And with that being said, it it instilled in me that hey, this is how you got to go out and do this. And you know, with Canerco, it was a, just a great opportunity uh, for him in his case, and it was a great opportunity for me to be able to do that. So I I mirror, I think I mirror uh, Canerco more so than the Yankee guy After being there for a year and had so much fun, and you know, playing with Pogi mm-hmm. Reese and and Barry Larkin and, and, and your brother Aaron Boone and Sean Casey and some Jeffrey Hammonds and the Michael Tuckers and Dimitri Young. I said, man, I fit here. Like, I belong here. We got a chance to do something special. We ended up losing the one-game playoff to the New York Mets that one year in 99. I'm excited about that. And I was already hearing the Rumbles that me, possibly me and Pope Reese, uh, Griffey wants to come home and the possibility of me and Pokey Lease and a couple other guys maybe getting traded for him because he couldn't work out a deal to stay in Seattle. I had no, I had no, like, uh, really, it was just kind of talks. February 9th of 2000, I get traded for Ken Gurkey Jr. And I thought my baseball career was going to be skipped over because there's no way I could do the same things that this guy did. I could glove with him. But this guy's getting 50 homers and playing, like, all-world defense. I mean, he's an all-decade player. How am I going to match up to that? How am I going to be able to be able to be in Seattle and this man um, in his shadows and be able to stand on the same ground with him and do anything to please these fans? And then I got a call from my you know our manager, old manager in Lupinella, said, hey, son. He said, you're going to be all right. <laughs> he said, you're, you're a heck of a player? Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious," he said. "You're a heck of a player, like Bo. I was, I was headed to, I was headed to uh, Sarasota, Florida, to go do my uh, arbitration case, and I got a call. And you know, this is February night, spring training starts next week, and I got a call and said I was traded. And I just remember sitting on my couch, holding my little ba- my ba- baby girl at the time, Tiaja, and like just having anxiety because I'm like, okay, yeah, okay. I got to talk myself out of this. Hey, you're a baseball player. You're a good baseball player. You're just not Kansas City Jr. You're going to have to be Mike Cameron. There's nothing you can do that's going to match up to what Kansas City Jr. has done um, in a city that embraced him from the time he was 17, 18 years old. There's nothing I can do. The anxiety led up to me getting a chance to talk to Lupinella, and he calmed me down. He said, "Hey, son, he said you're a heck of a player. We lost a great player, and we know you're a good baseball player, and we're gonna make you better. And we got a good team, surrounded and support support group up for you, where you can blossom into the player that you could possibly be." Sure enough, I get to Seattle, man, and you know, like the one thing I knew about myself is that I could play with the glove in the field with anybody in the world. Darren Lewis told me this a long time ago. He said, hey, your bat may not be – your bat may not may not win many games right now, but your glove can save a whole lot of games. And don't let that – don't let that cross over into your failures as you become a better hitter. I never forgot that. Got to Seattle. Um I remember the work ethic that Greg Vaughn had kind of instilled in me a little bit, and I kind of started to blossom. Um, uh, Pat Gillett made it very easy for me. You know, I was up for arbitration. They offered me a three-year deal. It was my first opportunity to really make some money, and, man, that 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 calmed my nerves down a whole lot because I had a young family at the time. And uh, it, was, it was just a move uh, from East Coast to West Coast in the Northwest. And so that was something that really kind of calmed my mind from a perspective of being at home and my family and everything, my young family. And I could play a game. Like, there was no question about it. I could play the game. I just couldn't feel the shoes that King Virginia left. All I could do was just be the best I possibly could be. And I went to Seattle and I took off, man. And um, lo and behold, I think I should have been there at least six years. Uh at least six years, but obviously, you know, it's a whole other story. But the four years I was there were like like the greatest baseball experiences. Uh one of probably the, the, the ultimate memories of baseball experience because not only did I get better as a player, um, I was able to see more of my teammates. Um, we stayed together a lot. It was, We won a lot. We came up short in a couple of playoff spots in a World Series, a couple of World Series opportunities. Um, but, man, like I learned so much in Seattle, so I couldn't call no other place but Seattle my home, although I only stayed there for four years in a 17-year career. But it was the greatest, greatest experience. I actually were able to lay down my tracks of a, a baseball player, I made my only all-star game in Seattle. So everything happened for me in the shadows of the greatest player um, at the time, arguably the greatest player in the game at the time, you know, between Griffin Jr. and Barry Bonds. But in my eyes, <laughs> I was replacing the greatest player in the game at that time because he was an all-decade player. And I had to go out and perform. And there were some other guys that got traded with us, Tom Cole. Couple other young kids, but I was the one that would have had to face the shadows of being compared or being in 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 the light of talked about as King of, King the Jr.'s replacement man. So uh, it was a lot of strain, a lot of pressure, a um, lot of a lot of rough days. But the team allowed me to overcome some of my deficiencies a lot of time. But I think I was able to put on enough show to be remembered. Probably the most gratifying thing was. You know, Griffey won like the first 10 gold gloves in center field in Seattle, and I was the next person. So, and I think maybe Phil Bradley won one before him or whatever. So, but as a center fielder, man, and me kind of looking up to Griffey as a player, although he's not that much older than I am, but we all looked at the Griffey. We all wanted to wear our hat backwards and have that sweet swing, but it didn't work for everyone. But I tried to emulate a lot of the stuff that he did. And with my own athletic ability, I was able to achieve a lot. And, you know, to this day, man, we're great friends um, in all facets. And I, I'm forever thankful because if I, if I never walked in his shadows and got a chance to play in Seattle, who knows what would have turned out to me in my career.
1: Well, you can't have that great swing because you're right-handed. People don't understand that. Everybody's like, "Griffey yeah. got the best swing." Well, yeah, uh,
2: I'll I'll give
1: him that. But it's so much prettier left-handed. We can't emulate oh, no that from the right. It. Yeah, we can't no emulate that from the right side. All right, Cammy, <laughs> no you it. won three gold gloves. Your first one you just mentioned was in 01. You won one in 03 and 06. Yeah. What do they mean to you? Yeah.
2: They uh, that means a word to me because the people who helped me do it were the first person I would have to say was, Gary Pettis, I think he won five or six gold gloves. He was, he was the one who helped me um, challenge myself to be a, a, a great player around the wall, uh, comfort around the wall. The next guy was um, Joe Nassik. Joe Nassik was a guy who, when I didn't play in the big leagues, when I was just sitting on the bench, he was the one that I was uh, – we're in the outfield every single day, Grass stain on my knees, diving, because I knew I wasn't going to play, so that was my game. I would be jumping over the wall. We would go over details. I would sit beside him on the bench, and he was like, watch this person, watch that person, you know, do this, do that. And the next person was uh, uh, obviously Darren Lewis gave me, was the one who really kind of Showed me the ropes because I was next in line behind him when they when we waved in the white flag in '95 and um, you know and everything else. I just kind of took it and ran with 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 um, uh, Johnny Moses. The work I just I just knew how to put in the work. I was athletic. I was always good. I had a good arm. Uh, I could run. I worked on their little small intricacies. So they mean a lot to me, man, because I felt like I should have won more. Uh, but, but we know that baseball at a time, it was pure offensively to get defensive awards. Uh, I know I'm 10 times better than Bernie Sanders. I mean, uh, Bernie Williams. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look at that. You know, I got the guy's name wrong. I had much respect for Bernie, but I was 10 times better anyway. Uh, I could play, I feel like I could play with anyone in my era. And it was always, uh, I know I was great compared to Darren Erstad. Uh, he won it because he hit like 350 one year, 360 or something like that. I should have got one. Um, I feel like at 36 in Milwaukee, I should have got one. Um, and it just, it, you know, we know the politics of baseball and how things turn up, but I always try to make defense, I try to make the other team miserable, just flat out miserable because you know I should have won a gold glove, and I'm going to make sure that you. As a coach, I knew the coaches voted on it. I wanted to make sure everyone remembered that, dang, man, this dude is catching everything. He is catching everything. And don't let him have no hits. You're really not going to get any hits. And I just that's the way I took on that personality, that persona of uh, of um, winning gold gloves and also having the opportunity of being one of the best defensive center fielders in the history of the game. And I really look at myself like that. Because I understand the work that I put in, I understand the intricacies that, you know, the same way you worked on having this this God-given ability to get rid of the ball real quick on double plays. I worked on the intricacies, uh, the intricacies of being a premier defensive center fielder, and offensively, I knew that I was I was there. I could be an elite elite. Guy, if I was able to put it together over six months of a baseball season, but I knew year in and year out, I was going to be one of the best defenders to ever play uh, on a baseball field at a major league level.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I got it, it, and I'm glad you brought that up about Darren Lewis. And, and you mentioned a lot of guys that bring back memories. Gary Pettis, one of the, one of the greatest one of a, of a previous generation, uh, played yes. with my dad in Anaheim. He was a great center fielder. Uh, but I got yeah. a, I got to play. I was pretty lucky in my career. You brought up Darren Lewis, who who I played yeah. with very briefly, but he was an elite defender. I got to play with Junior as a rookie, one of the greatest to ever do it. Uh, I got to play with Mike Cameron, and and you were yeah. definitely one of the elite elite. I got to play with Andrew Jones, uh, yeah, maybe definitely. the best to ever do it defensively. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what your opinion is on that.
2: Oh yeah. By far, by far. Man, like, Andrew Jones raised the level of play for everyone as a center theater. He was the guy who made me, challenge me to play shallow. Fortunately enough, I was so comfortable going back on the ball. In Seattle, we knew the ball didn't carry well. I definitely knew the ball didn't carry well in the left field gap. So I, I used to challenge myself daily to see how shallow I could get, see how many hits I could take away. To be, able to, um, to be able to, to be able to, um, to be able to, to be able to try to do some of the same things that Andrew Jones did. I played against Andrew Jones in the minor leagues. He kind of blew past everybody, you know. So uh, we knew he was going to be great. And then I saw him play in '96 in the World Series, and I'm just like, God, God, like 17 years old playing the big league World Series, and it's amazing. But obviously, we you know those things come in time. Your time is your time in the big leagues, no matter what age you are. But, uh, yes, he raised the level of play, and I, he really challenged me on on a daily basis to get better. I looked at him as the standard uh, at the time. And, obviously, the standard I felt like was in the American League for me was Torrey Hunter. I didn't feel like nobody else was better. It was me and Torrey and then Andrew Jones. And I, I forgot, you know, I'm much, much props to Jim Edmonds uh, he was great. Like, Jim Edmonds was great. But I've always felt like the balls that he made great diving plays on, I'd catch them in my back pocket and flip them back in. And there's no disrespect to him, but that just the way I felt about the way I played to the field. I felt I played with a grace in the outfield um, uh, unlike anyone else. And, obviously, that grace was my grace. And, obviously, Tory played the way he played because he had to play on turf. He always played deep, so he always made plays around the wall. I thought Andrew Jones was the complete guy because he could do it all. He could throw, he could run down balls. He balls in front of him. They never got down. Like I just watched this tape the other day. Like dude, you know somebody hit a ball in the left center gap into Montreal, and I think the guy showed up at the last second and caught the ball as it was getting hit the ground on that turf. And I'm like man, this dude can play some baseball out here. And that's the way I feel. And that's, that's, that, like that's, that's, that's how I – like playing center field is an art. It's a piece of artwork, man. And, that, and I felt like I, I painted my own canvas in that, in that manner.
1: Well, I want to – yeah, and I want to say that as a center fielder, you're the, you're the captain out there. You're the captain of the other yes. – did it matter to you – and this is an honest question coming from a middle infielder. Did it matter, did it matter to you who was in right and left field? or what was your role yeah. as as the captain? Center Centerfield's always the captain, but it didn't matter who was in left and right field.
2: So it mattered to me because I was always in communication on the guys of what I would do if this play particularly happened. Most of the time, if I, I always told them, if I think I can get the ball in front of us, you will see me go in front of you. Please go behind me. Uh, it did matter if, if I knew I had like a Jay Bennett. In left field in his latter years, I knew that I had to do more work covering ground. And 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 he well he played left field he played right field his whole career but then he moved over when he had the the ankle problems or whatever or the Achilles problems to left field. And my job was to take pressure off of him. Uh, when the next year in 2001, when I got Ichiro, it was over. It's like we we up from the very beginning. And we speak two totally different languages, but we speak the same language in baseball. And he played the the game in the outfield like an artist also. And I felt like our art just kind of meshed very well. So we were very dominant. It didn't matter who was in left field at the time because I was gonna cover three quarters of it anyway. And I didn't there was another another quarter that I didn't have to really worry about because of this greatness talent in right field. So it is important to be able to understand who you are playing with and what they are capable of doing. And when the only time I ever had issues is when I had to move to right field because of the, the way the aggressive style that I played center field was when I went to New York, when the New York Mets signed Carlos Beltran as a free agent it was very difficult for me because I was playing right field and he was a center fielder with both the true center fielders, but I I was a true center fielder playing right field and I never was able to give way to another guy uh, aggressive center fielder. I know all the styles of every center fielder that I played either with or against. In my era, I know
1: all the styles that they were able to do. Let's, get, let's jump to something me and you both went through together. That '01 one Mariner season, start to finish, still to this day, one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. And, and I remember going through it, and I was a veteran player at the time. And, you know, we come out of spring training, and, it, and it's April, we win 20 games. We finish May, we win 20 games again. Now, I had been through a lot in my career, ups and downs. I'd been on some great Reds teams. I'd been on some not so great Reds teams. And I knew what we were witnessing in 2001 when we won 116 games, that wasn't the norm. And it was probably never going to happen again. And I was just going to enjoy it as much as i can and i think that's where you came up with boone just enjoy your enjoyment it's still to this day when we talk to the people out there in the boot podcast Whenever i call cammy uh, and and sometimes we talk once a month sometimes we don't catch up for two or three months the first thing i'll say is cameron and are you enjoying your enjoyment it's one of the funniest lines let's talk about that you know what there's so many things to cover I don't even know where to start, but let's just talk about how two thousand one affected you.
2: Uh, you know It was your first All Star, it was your first All Star. Yes. Um there was so much to happen in two thousand one, man. You know, after coming, you know, losing to the Yankees in six um in two thousand and then coming into when you came over and we got Ichiro, um, you know, like we didn't know what type of capabilities that each row. we knew he got to hit, but we didn't know what type of player he was going to become. But uh, I knew that, hey, I've got one year under my belt here. I'm comfortable. Um, I understand, you know, what more offensively I could do. Um, and I just, you know, Lou made it really easy because I feel like he, he, when he managed baseball teams, he taught winning baseball. Not just, you know, developmental baseball, it was winning baseball. And if you didn't get that, it would be amplified for you to understand that we're trying to play winning baseball. He gave me so much more mentally. And so in 2001, we took off on that season, man. I, we had no idea that we were going to have the run that we had. We knew we had some professional hitters in the Road and Edgar Martinez, um, let's see. Uh, God, uh, we knew Ichiro could hit. We didn't know he was going to do what he did. Um, you know, we he stole a, my MVP. So in, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David Bell yeah. I you mean, had a great, great year. I think you know the the, the everything just kind of came together, man. Like the the unit, the unit that we had. We played together. I felt like more than anyone. We trusted each other. Um, we had we, we were very professional. And what when we went away, when we went about our business, and it it, it was just gratifying to be a part of that. You know, in two thousand one, man, because we played some great teams. You know, just think about it. In two thousand one, we won one hundred and sixteen games, and Oakland won a hundred, and it didn't seem like they had a chance because we played well together all the time. And just that run in 2001, I just, I just didn't think there was no chance. I always thought that Derek Judy used to tell me every time I got to second base, whenever I got to second base in Yankee Stadium, when we were playing in that, in, all throughout that whole season, hey, you guys are playing great, man. We'll see you in October. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're going to see you in October this time, buddy. Like, I think y'all reigns going to come to an end. That's how good I felt about our opportunity in 2001 and some of the things that went through it. And obviously going back on it, uh, being a part of – I initially – it just brought up my first All-Star game. I initially wasn't on the All-Star game. I had an unbelievable first half. But it seemed like everyone in baseball had an unbelievable first half in the outfield. Um, And here is – like this gift, great gift. I remember all you guys getting announced, or either getting it from the, either getting it from, um, from uh, um, uh, the numbers like the fan votes or whatever, writing you in. Your and I was, I was kind of hurt because I knew I had played very well, and I knew I played very well against the Yankees uh, for two years in a row. And so Joe Torre was always the manager because, you know, they was always in the World Series for those first from 96 to 2000 or something like that. (laughs) And (laughs) um, I just don't understand. um, I just didn't understand why I didn't get a chance to make this team. And fortunately enough, here again, the same goes all the way back to 99, Greg Vaughn. Ends up getting hurt. I remember playing in Dodger Stadium because um, I was crushing at spirituality. I'm not moving my stuff out of my locker. Don't want nobody to get in my locker, blah, blah, blah. You know, we kind of go back and forth. You know, I want to take it. If, if nothing else, to take my kid, my son Dazzler, just to see the home run derby, and he comes down. I remember I had got a base hit. You know, I was still playing. I was hitting, like, 280. I had 15 and, like, 60, 15 and 60 RBIs. At the time, that was great. That was great, great for me. And I was like, I think I deserve to have the opportunity to play in the big leagues. I already have like 20-something-odd bags or whatever. And, man, sure enough, I remember getting ready to go up to the plate and Ron Spellcy walking down those, all those steps at, at Dodger Stadium and come down and he pulls me in the tunnel. I was, I was in the hole, maybe in the hole or maybe the fourth batter. Coming up in that inning, I remember him coming down and said, "Hey, I'm thinking something happened." Or he got my tickets for the thing. It was the last day. It was a Sunday day game in 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 uh, in L.A. And I remember him coming down the steps, and I'm thinking that he got like, "Hey, I got the tickets set up. I got you all set up. Blah blah blah." He said, "Hey, you won't have to um, take you won't have to you won't have to take your kid to the home run desert because." you're going to be in the all-star game. And I was, I probably turned like hot white and shocked. And I, I, I had like little tears coming outside of my eye. Cause he's like, Greg Vaughn, you're replacing Greg Vaughn. And I was like, how special is that? The guy who tutored me in the years that I needed most tutoring, uh, after being traded to Cincinnati. And I get a chance to replace him, man. And I just, I, I had like little tears coming outside of my eye or whatever. And, I just remember coming back in the out like, with heavy tears, laughing, smiling, and everything else. And I'm still, like, gleeful. I didn't care how I got there, but it doesn't matter. It don't say Mike Cameron replacement All-Star. It says Mike Cameron All-Star. And it was special at that time because in 2001, we had seven already, seven All-Stars already because we were rewarded for the season that we were having. In the first half, and then to me to be a part of that was like the topping of all toppings, man. Uh, Well, I remember, I remember,
1: I remember that All Star game, and and I remember, and this is this is one of the reason Mike Cameron is Mike Cameron because it, it was the most genuine reaction I've ever seen to being an All Star, and I remember. They made you, they mic'd you up and they gave you like your own show. And this is before Twitter, Twitter and Instagram. And I remember to the people that got a chance to see it and and people that didn't know Mike Cameron, you know, they would, they would talk to me and say, look at Cammy. I said, that's by the way, guys, that's not him entertaining you. That's like real right there. That's how he's really feeling. And I think, it's what it was so refreshing, and it's so good for the game because that was genuine, that was genuine you you were telling it like it was yeah. like I can't believe I'm in the all-star game. pinch me again and and that's what that's the ultimate thing in baseball to see that and to see how much you appreciate. It. I see guys time to time they they get selected to an all-star game and they just don't go and, and I've always thought to Man. myself, you only go around once and and Man. it's such a hallowed elite group to turn down an All-Star, you know, appearance is mind boggling to me. And, and that, Man. and that video that you made for that, for that All-Star weekend should be a video that everybody watches that if you ever think about turning down an All-Star game, watch Mike Cameron mic up in 2001, yeah. going to every corner <laughs> of the stadium and just, <laughs> I mean, that's what it's all about. That's when we're in little yeah. league, and you making that video, that's what it's all about. And I, and that stands like, out to me to this day.
2: Yeah. And I remember saying like, Hey man, like, you know, I know we got eight all-stars here, but I feel like from what I've been through getting to this particular point, I am the host of this all-star game. I replaced Ken Griffey Jr. I'm here now. Like I'm on the stage. they like, this yeah. is my stage. Now this, this is my home. Like I've I, like, it was like the keys were turned over to me. So, it's my turn to be able to it like allow me to embrace the people who embrace me, uh, being there. I just remember man getting getting on the like the, the the activities that were going on around the city. I was trying to do everything. My whole family came in. Um like it was just so special. Like I, I, I can remember it like clear as day. I remember getting back from LA, couldn't wait to get to the locker room because I didn't have to move my stuff. My every, my locker was there, my all-star uniform was in there. I remember trying I, – I just – oh, man, that's so much. I remember, I remember going and saying, let me see what these pinstripes really feel like. I went and took Bernie Williams' jersey out of his locker, tried it on, see how it was fitted or whatever. <laughs> I, remember, I, I remember putting my uniform on, like, at that day, that Sunday night we got back because, you know, obviously the festivity starts on that Monday morning when you got to do the interviews and all that kind of stuff like that. I couldn't wait. I I couldn't even sleep. It was like that first time when you – opening day when you it's like Little League, man. So it was just – I've always cherished the opportunity of looking in my locker and seeing a Major League Baseball jersey hanging in my locker with my name and my number on the back of it. And the fact that, that I got that opportunity to do that, man, it was just like so special to me. Like I never understood – why I got the opportunity now to be on the greatest stage and to be in a room with, like you said, so much elite talent. And look, you know how everyone had their names; they had them all around the stadium. The banners, all everybody had their name. Like I guess mm-hmm. it was like stitched or whatever it was. My name was in the corner, right field corner, with just wrote on it. I went and took a picture by it because, like. That meant the world to me. Like they put my name up here last minute, probably last minute everything. And man, I'm just like I just I was just like honored. I felt I felt so honored to be a part of something. And to be a part of history with eight guys on my same team and I get a chance to be with them, like it just justified or solidified what type of player that I could possibly be, man. And it's and and obviously the rest is history. Lining up on the line and getting the roar of all roars, man, it's, it's so crazy. Like, it's so crazy. I couldn't. And then, um, then on top of that, to be as the, the ambassadors of their last all-star game in the National League, which was Tony Gwynn, and on our side, it was uh, Cal Ripken Jr. I'm just like, wow, this is, like, uniquely special for me and everyone who's kind of been involved who said that, hey, you know, he's going to be all right. You know, he may, he may be a good player, this, that, and the other. But now I'm an all-star. And I'm on an all-star on the best team. I'm an all-star. I'm one of the all-stars on the best team in the league right now. And, you know, I mean, you just you – just, you don't get it. I took the bonus that I got. Nobody really – I don't think nobody really knows this. I took the bonus that I got uh, from – from um, from my contract or whatever and bought everyone an All-Star jacket the leather jacket which yep, I have I no idea where it is right now
1: <laughs> I've I've got it you know who has it Savannah Boone she stole it from me
2: <laughs> but she's we- I, she's
1: I, wearing it proudly
2: yeah I I just like man I like there's so many things like I, that was just a gratification of my t- you know me understanding that my teammates and the team that I was on man I got everyone on our team, an all-star jacket, in our home. And how special it is. You know, I probably could have made a couple more, whatever it was, but that one right there probably counts as like three for me because it was at the place that I was traded to and I was on the best team at the best time with eight other guys, man. So it's just like instantly gratifying always I'm grateful forever grateful for
1: that all right so we're gonna jump to oh two yeah we're struggling yeah I think Edgar sat out that day we mixed up the lineup because me and you you usually never hit back-to-back but I think I was in the two hole you're in the three hole we went back-to-back twice in the first inning and then I forget who hit four that day me or you (laughs) Uh, and I tell my kids and I tell people all the time, hey, you give me enough time. I'm going to swip, I'm going to flip the narrative. I'm going to be by the time me and Cammy are in a rocking chair. I'm going to be the one to hit four. I don't know. That's kind of my goal in life, but now on a serious note, Cammy, we go back to back in the first inning twice. Never happened yeah. before in the history of the game. And then I strike out and then I strike out again. Cammy hits another homer and another homer. And then I walk yeah. my fifth at bat. And I remember, it's weird when you, you're you naming all these names and here's Paul Canerco coming back into our yeah. line of questioning. Yeah. I'm standing at first base with Paul Canerco. You get a 3-0 count. Yeah. It was a blowout game. We were killing them. And I said to yeah. Paulie, one of the unwritten rules in baseball is if you have that big of a lead, you don't swing no. 3-0. And I remember no. saying to Paulie, I said, Paulie, if there's ever an exception to the rule, you had four homers already. I said, it's yes. right now to swing 3-0. And he said, I agree with you, Brett. And I knew you weren't going to swing. So you took it. And yep. then you you got to – I think if my memory, my, my memory serves me right, you get a 3-1 pitch, you foul, foul it straight back.
2: Oh, straight back. oh man.
1: And, and then the 3-2, and I knew it when you hit it. I said – that ball smoke, but it ain't going out. You know how you could just tell. Yeah. I knew it was going to yeah. be close. You, you line out to the warning track, right? eight or 10 feet away from being the only man in the history of the game to hit five. But the I remember only
2: man, the only man, bro. The only man. And I have no,
1: I, I, I but how about this him. though? I remember after the game, we, we gave you the, you know, when you put the bats up in the air and you walk through the tunnel. Yeah. And I remember yeah. sitting in my locker, like, man, I just hit two home runs. I'm supposed <laughs> to feel good about that. I feel like a scrub. Gabby's got four. You hit two home runs. That's a, normally for us. That's a great day. You hit three different level, four, that's the uh, wow! That that's Mount yeah. Rushmore. You hit four. There's not too many. I think there's been thirteen guys that have done it. Tell me about that night.
2: Um, just that night, man. You know, obviously. Hey, you know what? Before we get started, it, people forget that I robbed the grand slam from Magaly Ordonez in that game. I that's forgot. Crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Like, like I had a I had one of the ultimate like greatest games I think I ever. I won't say it was a great – yeah, I guess it has to go up there because it's just not possible every day that you hit four home runs in a game. Obviously, it's just not that possible because it hasn't, It hadn't happened in the American League since 1956. Rocky Calavito was the last guy to do it. Obviously, um, hard-hitting Mark Whitten was the last guy to do it in, in, uh, in the National League at that time, but it had been some years – since it ever took place. And I was at the time, there was only 12 guys in the history of the game to ever do it. And for me to be able to do it for the first time since 1956, I was, I didn't really look at myself as a uh, 35, 40 home run type of guy, or whatever, you know, I could hit my 20s, at 25 and get lucky sometimes and probably running the 30. And, and, um, uh, like that day though was special i just remember working with lee Elia. we didn't hit on the field today because it was kind of cold it was always cold early in chicago and i remember we going in the cage and i was hitting with lee elia and something just clicked that day man and and um you know i remember you know we had been struggling a little bit towards the end of the month in april had to end up having a good april but at the end of the month uh we were struggling i remember before we went on the road lewis said You know, and Booney, I tell you, boy, you guys, that doggone bad now dropping like the stock market. Lucky you guys, by the time you guys pick it up on the stock market, I said, hey, man, we're going to Chicago. You ain't got to worry about me. You know, I was a Chicago killer, Chicago White Sox killer. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I didn't expect that to take place, but that day it was just something special going on, man, where the wind was blowing kind of like out, swirling in center, blowing out the right center and kind of like towards center field. And it was chilly that day. Jane Balling, my old roommate, was on the mound. We were teammates and roommates in Chicago. I stayed with him when I first got called to the big leagues. So that was just so much. Um, I had so much. I was so focused. My focus intensity would go to the next level anytime I played against the Chicago White Sox because I wanted to make them regret every moment they saw me on a baseball field that they traded me away and thought that I couldn't be the guy. There, I don't know if that's the way to do it, but that's the way it gave me the ultimate um, mindset in the game: high, intense focus like no other. If you was to suit me up against the White Sox, I'd probably be going to the Hall of Fame right now every day. You know, just because that right there drove me for many years. To, when to, to to be traded from, you know, the way I got traded. And the the the, op, the the biggest opportunity to really just kind of like, like every time they went home, we like, damn, Cameron beat us again. And I took on that role, that responsibility to do that. And I wanted to make everyone remember those days. But that day when I had four homers and I just remember you hitting the, hitting the two and I'm like, Jesus, I don't know if you remember that. We had like these little side bets, like, Hundred
1: dollars for RBI. Yeah, but you just you just blew by me that day. I tied you in ribbies that day, but but yeah, you once did. you kept hitting them, <laughs> once you <laughs> you hit four solo shots because I kept striking out. I either hit a homer yeah, or struck out.
2: You hit two, two you hit two, two, two run homers, man. I was like, oh my god, this is crazy, man. Like Jesus, I can't win nothing. I can't get nothing. This guy, every time I go deep, he's he's cleaning the bases up every single time. Like Jesus, man. But I just remember that day, man. It was so it was so intense, but I was so relaxed and and I was having so much fun. I remember going to the dugout after we hit that after you hit the first one, and we batted around, and you went deep again. I was like, "Oh my God, are you serious? Like this game is already over." And I remember coming up behind you and going deep to center field again. You hit two right right center or right field solo shots or, or uh, two run homers. And I hit two homers in center field. And we hit Create History. I'm like, wow. And we're just in, like, the first inning, bro. We're in the first inning. It's a good thing. I was done after that.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. But, you know, the fact that something clicked on on that. on on a, I, was, I remember being down on the count my first A.B. And I fouled a ball off. You always used to say, and Edgar used to say, if you're foul ball, If you're fouling fastballs off to right to like the right side, right center, it's not always that you're late. you know you just you're just a click away. And sure enough, man, that clicked me in. I was at a two-2 count, I think it was, and um, John Ross threw me like some little high cutter, you know, whatever it was, and I remember squaring up him the center. But I remember going seeing Kenny Lofton go back, as Kenny Lofton always does. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm running had, slow jog around first. I'm like, okay, get out of here. Get out of here, ball. Get out of here, ball. Get out of here. And and, and sure enough, he, he missed that first. And I was like, whoa. And something clicked again in, that battle, in the, in the batter's box for me where it felt like the ball was stopping, almost stopping at the, at the point of contact where I could see the ball so well. Everything was like slow motion. When I got inside the batter's box, Outside of batter box, everything else was normal. I didn't have no idea the feeling that I had. The only, way, only thing I could come up with and describe it was the time Jordan hit the six threes against the Portland Trailblazers, and he just threw up his hand. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And that's the way I felt that day at the plate. Like, there's nothing you can get by me. I see everything. So if you throw the ball at the plate, I'm going to hit it hard. I wasn't thinking about hitting homers. I wasn't thinking about hitting homers until my last at-bat. My last at-bat when I was up there, after I had the four. The other times I was just trying to put a good swing on the baseball. And I remember hitting the third one, and it was still in the third inning. And I remember going around second base, and I looked at Ray Durham. I gave him a little smirk. And I looked, and, you know, the, the, uh, the, the screen is, as I'm rounding, getting ready to go in front of Ray, and give ready to round second, I have to give Ray the smirk and I looked up in the outfield. It was live on ESPN, man. Like, it was live. And I was like, wow. I'm in the moment of truth right now. And <laughs> it, I was, like I, it was present. Like, I it was like, man, like, they're going to I know that when they do that, that means it's like breaking news. <laughs> like, Mike Cameron yeah. has hit three homers in the first three innings. And we still got six innings to play, so something special could possibly happen right here. I remember going around the bases, and remember that. And I remember t- when I got around third, I hit Dave Meyer's hand, and I told him, I told him, I, I told him, I said, "Dave, it's gonna be a good day today, brother." And I looked in the, mat- I looked in the other dugout, and I saw, saw my old coach Joe Nasis and my old manager Jerry Manuel sitting beside each other. Jerry was sitting on his hands. And it was kind of cold that day. And I said, oh, boy, it's going to be a good one today. And, <laughs> like, I, I was saying it to myself. I was, I was shaking my head and looking at him like, yep, it's going to be a good one today. And he, obviously, you know, Mark McLemore was, was my hype man, as always. So I was really feeling good about myself and the opportunity that I was getting. And on top of that, I remember when every time I would go into a little bit of a funk, I would always use one of Edgar Martinez's bats because we used the same type of Rawlings, but he had the best wood, obviously, of all woods because of who he was and what he did with the wood. And so he had this triple lacquer finish Rawlings bats that I loved, and they were not really heavy. They were kind of very – they were just – they were perfect for my hand. But there was just so much in that day, man, that I remember getting booed. I remember the last at-bat. Remember that after the third, fourth debate, I was getting a standing ovation. I was getting all of the gratification and all of the things that I kind of transpired by getting trade for Griffey, kind of making my mark in that point, um, rubbing it in the faces of the people of Chicago who said that I couldn't play. Um, then, on top of that, we just totally dominated them. Like, that was like so much gratification of me in all in one game. And I just remember all these things going through my mind as I was running around the bases. And now finally the people of Chicago have to bow down to me because I just made history. And so, yeah. you know, that was that was like special, special, man. I just remember all of that being special. And I remember after the game and we were, you know, we do the little handshake. We come over the mound. and I remember I got to Luke and Ellie and said, you did good today, son. You did good. And it was special because Lou was hard to please, man. I mean, he's hard to please unless you're hitting like Edgar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's hard to please. And he told me that day, he said, you did good, Dave. You did good today, son. You did good. And that made me feel really, really good because I knew that he has. He was the manager of arguably the greatest, one of the greatest players in the history of the game. Um, and being, with Ken Griffey Jr., I just got a chance to be able to do something very special that I can call my own that won't be tied to Ken Griffey Jr. And that's the way I felt that day. The only only thing about that whole four-homer game, it put me into the leaderboard in the, early in the May. I've never been on a leaderboard, that early, uh home run leaderboard. You know, and you go look at the USN day, you look at the home run college, I was at the top of it for one day. Because <laughs> I, had, I had 10 homers. and I had 10 homers in the first part of May. And I was like, I'm going to hit 40 this year. I remember we got to New York. I didn't go to sleep. We had, remember we took that road trip, we were headed to New York after Chicago. And I remember trying to duplicate that same, that same thing that I was feeling in Chicago the night before. And we were facing, um, the lefty, uh, gosh, what his name is. Al Leiter. No, 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 It wasn't Al Leiter. It was,
1: uh, um, Oh, I know who you're the, talking about. Put, yeah. I can't, I can't, I
2: can't think of it. He used to play for Toronto also. Um, Ted, Ted, Lilly? I think Ted Lilly. Ted Lilly, big
1: curveball. Yeah.
2: Yes, yes. And my first day, I broke the bat that Edgar <laughs> gave me. I hit the four homers with. No, I didn't. No, I take that back. No, I didn't. They took the bat. I had another, I had another Edgar bat that I had been doctoring up and working with. I learned that from Edgar, you know, use your game bats and batting practice. Get them a feel for the game and everything else. And I would, and I would doctor it up with pine tar and everything. And I broke the bat on a little change-up. I was like, tan little, you don't throw change-ups. And I broke the bat, and I hit a little grounder down there to, um, to A-Rod, man. Or was it – who was there? Scott Dork. Who was third baseman in 2002?
1: Was, Where are we playing now? We playing in the Yankees or the Mets? We
2: were, yeah, we playing in the, uh, play the Yankees. Ah,
1: 2002. Hmm. Now A-Rod wasn't there yet.
2: No, nah, nah, he wasn't it, there. I think it was uh, – I Wouldn't forget who
1: it, it was. Now, no, it was Aaron. Wasn't there at 0-3. I forget. It. it don't matter.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I got, yeah, I got matter. this, uh, and I'm go- I'm start. I'm starting the journey now. You, you're already into it. You had uh, your son Daz. Yeah. makes his debut last year. Uh, all the things you've done in this game. How cool was it seeing your son on a big with a big league uniform on?
2: Man, it's so special, man, uh, you know, to to actually – because I understand what it's like. I understand how the game is designed, the failure, and how hard it is to make it to the big leagues. Um, obviously, his path was a lot different than mine. You know, he was a first-round draft pick highly talented high school guy, Gatorade player of the year, State of Georgia, all these accolades and everything else. Um, and to see him go through some of the same grind, and I know that he wants to play in the big leagues, but you just don't know. You know, like you just don't know. And to see him get an opportunity to play in the big leagues, man, it was so it was so bittersweet because I couldn't be there to just give him a hug because I understood how hard it is to make it. And – you know, due to the COVID situation and that was going on, and also due to the fact that he overcame the the COVID uh, COVID sickness in itself to be able to make it to play in the big leagues, man. Was like, man, man, like we just made history, and it probably supersedes anything that I've done on a baseball field because just to actually see your son following your footsteps and to be able to make it, I I, I can't, man. Like, it's it's just. Like it's it's amazing to be able to do. I'm I'm so I'm happy. I'm so happy for him to get the experience and the opportunity to do the things that he did when he was a little kid, running around the clubhouse, and to actually be on the same field now. Like it's it's just special in itself, man.
1: Uh, now post post your career, you're you're working with the Mariners. Uh, you yes. work with them on the minor league side with the Mariners, and your foundation. You got a foundation camp for kids.
2: Yeah, I used to have the, the camp for kids. That, that kind of went the defunct, but, I, you know, like I got the uh, Mike Cameron Baseball Academy Foundation now um, where I have a facility, you know, where I've kind of helped out kids or whatever. The Mike Cameron Baseball, the camp for kids, I wanted to keep it, but it went into whatever you call it, defunct mode or whatever. But, you know, I did so much. I felt like I've done so much work uh, behind the scenes where there's no cameras, you know, just – is what I do in general and the passion that people have for obviously number one for baseball. And then, you know, just being able to contribute to many factors uh, in my community as much as possible. And so um, I've done that for a few years and, you know, I enjoy being able to go like that sound of balls hitting off the bat is like music to my ears. It's, it's a, it's a piece it's a calmness for me. Uh, obviously, it's something that I love to do. I love to help kids to try to achieve the same dream that I've achieved. And you know, working with the Mariners um, have given me a, another opportunity to get back in the game, to give back in a way uh, on another level. To actually be around some professionals that are actually trying to achieve uh, the dream of playing in the big leagues.
1: Well, Cammy, this has been a lot of fun, man. And and to the to the Boone podcast listeners out there, I I started off this segment with saying one of my all time favorite teammates, and I think when you speak and and with the genuineness you speak. Of your experience as a big ligger, any big ligger out there, any amateur player out there, wow. when you're not enjoying the game or, or you're taking the game for granted, go find Mike Cameron because he'll he'll tell you how to appreciate what you got. That's why everybody loves Cammy. I appreciate you coming on. That was a lot of fun. And what we do here at the end of the Boone podcast is is we allow uh, one of the fans to ask you a question, and Dan Levy, the voice of the Boom Podcast, is the man to uh,
0: ask that question. Dan? Hello, everybody, and thanks for having me back (laughs) on the podcast. Well, Cammie, I just wanted to say to you, before I give you the fan question, I was there when you hit the four homers, and it was one of the coolest things I've ever been to. Because the entire crowd was rooting for you, <laughs> the entire yeah, crowd yeah. was rooting for you.
2: Yeah, because they couldn't be rooting for the Sox, and so we beat them fifteen to four. I think
0: it was. So. <laughs> it was not the first time I saw that, by the way. But the the four home runs was was pretty awesome. All right, but here is here is the fan from the question or the question. Here is the question from the fans: What was it like to be Brett Boone's teammate?
2: Man, oh. I tell you, boy. <laughs> Booney was the the ultimate guy of confidence, one of the ultimate guys that ever been around in confident wise. And it rubs off on you in a way that you probably don't even recognize. I mean, because like here's a guy who's a third generation baseball player at the major league level. So he knows all the ins and outs, man. And and um, you know, in his second tour of duty, it seemed like when he came to to Seattle man like we kind of clicked we hung out together on and off the field um sometimes late nights in all and all kind of ways and and we enjoyed it um a uh, hard nosed player man so I respected that because that was the way that our only way I knew how to play uh very intelligent um man like it's just uh it was it was so grateful because not not only that not only from an aspect of you know all those fun things or whatever but because he, whether he knew it or not, he obtained so much knowledge uh, from his grandfather and 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 his father and being around the clubhouse at an age that he could really recognize it. You know, he's one of USC's greatest, one of the greatest players in USC history. And the fact that we get a chance to, um, got a chance to play together for three years, which, which again, um, I got shorted. Uh, I feel like three or four years over there with the uh, Mariners because of the the situation of having to get uh, becoming a free agent and Bill are coming in. But the fact that I got a chance to play with Booney, man, uh, I cherish that because we had some really intimate, deep conversations over the course of uh, our years there, sitting in the chair in our shower shoes and and in uh, and our little our little tights, baseball tights or whatever. And, <laughs> Sharing something as <laughs> <like everybody> a <can. laughs> and obviously Lou Piniella, you know, because he never he used to be there late talking baseball. Those are the things that, as a player, that you never forget. More so than the games on the field, are the times and the camaraderie that you got a chance to share amongst each other in the clubhouse. Because look, baseball is a family game when you start to play Major League Baseball. Because everyone that you're around understands the importance of how, how tough the game is also, you know, whether you're dealing with some stuff at home or whatever it may be, you know, outside, outside influences on baseball. But when we came together as a unit in a clubhouse, man, it was like, you know, it was a brotherhood and we pulled for each other all the time, man. So uh, I'm forever grateful, you know, of being a, a, a a brother to Brett Boone, and also, you know, my other teammates too. But you know, you got, obviously, there are ones that you uh, really ones that you mesh well with, and the energy is great with. And obviously, he's at the top of the
0: list for me. Well, Mike Cameron, we want to thank you so much for coming on today's podcast. We really appreciate it.
2: Man, I enjoyed it. Anytime, I will be
0: there. <laughs> Thanks, Cammy. Mailbag. All right, Boone, you know that sound. It is time for the Brett Boone mailbag. And, of course, all these questions come via his Twitter account, at the Boone 29 or you can also find him on Facebook and Twitter as well. And you can shoot your questions to him over there as well. All right, you ready to go? Let's do it. This one is from Kendra in Bakersfield. Brett, who has the cleanest-looking uniform in baseball?
1: I don't know. Never thought about anything like that. I'm going to go
0: with Mike Trout. Ooh, he does keep a clean uh, uniform, doesn't he? He
1: really does.
0: Is there anything that guy isn't doing right now, for the love of God?
1: He's pretty good. I, I paid attention to him this year, and and I've always known he's a great player, but I really paid attention to him this year. He's really good. <laughs> he is really good. He Better than I even thought he was. All right.
0: Allen and Clearwater. Brett. Are you a fan of Skyline Chili? Big fan. Big fan. Love it. Miss
1: it. Uh, there's a few things in, in Cincinnati that they're kind of famous for. Uh, Montgomery Inn ribs, mm. Skyline Chili, and Grater's ice cream. Three things I missed from Cincinnati. But, yes, big fan.
0: Now, the Skyline Chili, that comes with spaghetti, Correct.
1: This comes with spaghetti. It's it's got a different taste. It's not a normal chili. I can't explain it to you. You gotta you gotta try it. Comes in a two, three, and four way, depending on on the fixings.
0: Okay. How would you go yours? Two, three, or four. What's a four? I don't
1: remember. I, I'm not a big cheese guy, so I'd usually just do the the chili and onions. But gotcha. you can get it online, I think, now. You can order it from Cincinnati, they'll ship it to you. It's it's different, but it's it's
0: really good. All right, and the last one—that's an actual mailbag. You have mentioned golf a lot in this show with Joe West. How far do you drive the ball off the tee? That's from Walter in Massachusetts. Really far. Uh,
1: you know, it's tough to—it's tough to put a number on it because it's all conditions. Where are you playing? What's the wind? Are you downhill? Are the fairways running out? Uh, I hit it far, and. and Not always straight far, but uh, I still hit it pretty good. I used to hit it farther when I was younger, but uh, I'm realizing keeping in the fairways a little more is a little more important than length, but uh, I, I hold my own.
0: It's amazing how much better we were at things when we were younger, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All right, Brett, that's going to do it for the fail bag. And that's going to do it for this podcast. Again, if you want to go ahead and uh, shoot the moon, a couple of questions, anything that's on your mind, do so. Add the moon 29 on Twitter. He's on Facebook and Instagram. Just shoot him over there and he'll uh, we'll put it in this podcast. It's what we do here for the former MLB All-Star Silver Slugger and Golden Glover. Brett Boone, my name is Dan Levy. Thank you, my camera, for jumping on. We'll see you guys next time right here on the Brett Boone Podcast. See everybody.